Hey, Lisa. Hi, Julie. How are you doing? I am, uh, my head's spinning right now, <laughs> really. I feel like a little out of sorts. What about you? I think I'm supposed to say, I'm doing great. How are you? But actually... <laughs> I'm going to be honest. We're going to be honest here. I'm sorry. I, I'm, you know, in the grand scheme of things, doing great and um, thankful for everything, our health and our wonderful community that we have. But today has just been one of those, like, I feel like we're in the twilight zone. It's oh a little surreal. This, this every day brings something new. I wake up every morning and I pop open the news to see like what, what's going to be going on today. Absolutely. So um, just for context, for anyone who's been living under a rock. Um, if you listen to this next year, when we're hopefully in a much better place. Exactly. Today is Thursday, March 12th. And we are anxiously awaiting an announcement from the BAA, which we expect to be today or tomorrow based on the Boston Globe, that there will likely be a postponement of the Boston Marathon. That's what's being reported right now, at least. As and we should we should preface this with that we had reached out to Dave McGilvery, who we adore and had on our podcast last year, and is always so kind and generous with his time and willing to talk to us. And we had scheduled him to talk on, talk to us today on the podcast, and we reached out to him a couple days ago to just get a sense of where he was and understanding that it's a crazy time for him and did he think it would be better to maybe postpone our conversation? And he said, yes, that would probably be a better idea. So uh, totally understandable. They don't have any answers right now, I don't think, and hopefully will in the next day or so, but um, that we were going to have him on. Hopefully he said he would be happy to come on after they get things squared away. So, Oh, he will. He's such a nice guy. I know. But can you imagine right now? I'm no. sorry. Our lives right now are so thrown into chaos and, and disarray and uncertainty right now. I, I, I can't even imagine... Uh, what he's going through right now. And just to say to you, our email that we got from him today, was it like four in the morning, I think, or was it yesterday? I don't remember. Yeah, when. Dave, the, four in the, morning. the race director for the Boston Marathon. And yeah, the, his response to your email as, um, would you like to postpone this, Dave, was at 4.40 a.m. And um, we, our hearts go out to all of the race directors um, dealing with this. Obviously, our hearts go out to the medical community. I want to give a shout out. This is irrelevant to running, but Dr. Anthony Fauci, he's oh, a badass. Yeah. <laughs> I am so appreciative of him because he is just telling it like it is. He's not trying to Thank sugarcoat <laughs> anything. And frankly, we understand and acknowledge that this is what needs to be done to ensure the safety of all of us here in this country right now and racing a race is not responsible. So to that end, last weekend was the sort of last hurrah for all of the races unintentionally, it seems like. So we had one of our runners, Chris Kwa, out in LA. She ran the LA Marathon last weekend, had a great time. And um, we are kind of wait, waiting to see if anything happens out of the LA Marathon because that quarantine period two weeks. is two weeks. So I know. So everyone's saying, oh, look, that went off great. Everyone's fine. Yeah. But that was just a week ago. So we have to have to wait and see. And then and then this week, the, the news started rolling in of, um, you know, it was very uh, disappointing for, for some of the big races that have started announcing announcing their their cancellations, which aren't, wasn't unforeseen especially with state of emergencies and the spread of the virus and cancellation of a lot of big events like parades and, and conferences and conventions. Um, but then uh, this week, what we've been dealing with is kind of that roll-in of, of cancellations. Right. So it's kind of been a moving, a moving target. So we started off the week wondering if Boston would be canceled, and now it's more when will it be canceled and postponed. But then 
Um, we had a few runners doing uh, B- the BNA. More than and a few. More we, had than a lot, few. we had a lot of runners running the BNA, which is a local uh, half the Baltimore and full. area, Baltimore, Maryland area, half and full. Great race, very well organized. Yeah. Uh, well, Long we standing. Had, we had, how, how many runners did we have doing the full? We had. Good. Three, three doing the full and like a good handful yeah. doing the half. Yeah, like a, lot doing the half. a lot doing the half. So the the ones especially doing the full, they had trained, understandably, all winter for this this race and in great shape. And several of them to to within Boston qualifying oh, time for, for sure. sure. So they cancel and immediately we start looking up races. Well, we have a runner in North Carolina who was doing the Tobacco Road Marathon, which at, as of yesterday was still on and yeah. posted something was still on. So we quickly shifted our marathon runners, our half marathon runners. For many of them, it wasn't a target race. It was part of their preparation for Boston or for another race or kind of just a progression. So they weren't as disappointed but and um, didn't have as much on the line. But our marathon runners were tapered and ready to run. Oh, we great. shifted them immediately. We said, get in the car. You're going to drive down to the Durham area so they Four register hours, they register they got their hotels north carolina mm-hmm. and, they, and then they're set right even as of this morning they're mm-hmm. psyched we're psyched we yeah. we feel we're patting ourselves in the back like we quick shift we did it yeah we, we did visit. it we sent them race prep for north carolina they're good to go and Sure enough. And the course was very similar oh, to B&A. The course was, yeah. almost, it was almost the identical type of course, a course that's along a paved trail, like rails to trail kind of type of perfect thing. So course. it was actually perfect replacement for B&A. And then this morning, Can't we find it. out that it's canceled. So we thought we might get one more in under the wire. Nope. So, And now we're in a really... Oh, um, also canceled, oh, I want to add. Yes. And they haven't announced, but they should. And I call BS on this. Rock and roll... Uh, DC, which is the 22nd of March. That, the 28th. I think it's the 28th. Is it the 28th? 28th. Okay. That race, <clears throat> there is nothing on the website. I'm sorry, you're right. It's the 28th. Yeah, the 22nd yeah. is Shamrock yes. in Virginia Beach. Yeah. So Rock and Roll is in DC. And Mayor Bowser of DC issued a press release yesterday, her office, in which um, it mentioned that two city permits were pulled as a result of CV in the month of March, which included the permit for the Scope It Out 5K, as well as the permit for rock and roll, i.e. if the city pulls the permit, there is no race. So we were kind of waiting for Looking. an announcement on the rock and roll website, um, as it's pretty irresponsible given that registration no <laughs> remains open, but they don't have a permit to race in the streets of D.C. in three weeks. So I'm sorry, in two weeks. So we are just letting those know who may think it's still um, an option. It is not. Their permit well, was the pulled. Well, the permit's pulled, so I don't know how they're going to do it without a permit. No way. So that happened. Um, Cherry Blossom is still pending. We don't know anything about that. Um, that should be announced by the end of the day today. So yes. this is like this moving, I feel like every minute. And yes. even um, at 3 p.m. our time, there's a press conference here in uh, Montgomery County that I think is going to address the school system. So it really... It changes, and, and this is funny, it harkens back to when we reached out to Dave McGilvery and said, what do you think about coming on the podcast on Thursday? And he said, things are not only changing day by day, but minute by minute, uh-huh. so it's probably best to put it off a little bit. Say, things are changing minute by minute. Absolutely. So I think the moral of the story is we we talked about this last week with Justin. That was a great conversation, by the way. And it was like such a good conversation to have before this week. We didn't even really know how applicable it would be. We knew, you know, there were some rumblings of some anxiety, but it's really, uh, it's taken it to a whole new level. Absolutely. So um, it goes back to what we discussed with Justin, which is control the controllables. So some, some of us are probably sitting here thinking, okay, so I train for my goal race and my goal race has been canceled. 
I don't know when um, races will be rescheduled because we're all in flux. And frankly, do I have a right to be even concerned about this given um, what's going on in our world and what could possibly happen if these races weren't canceled? We're in a pandemic. This is scary stuff. And my answer to that is, yeah, I mean, it's scary. And certainly compared to the reason for these cancellations, it's not important, but it's important to us. And as Justin mentioned last week, it's something of value to us. And so I think we can both understand that it's insignificant compared to the the global reason as to why we need these cancellations, but it's significant to us personally, and we value that. And that is something that we can we can mourn that loss. And, and it's that, okay to yeah, be upset. And you know, absolutely. it's not a it's not a like competition of woes. No. And what I think is really important for people to recognize is that you've been training for months. Your training is months and months on end, hours, how many hours you put into training. Thought. Work, yeah, thought, thought. effort, mm-hmm. um, emotional blood, sweat, tears. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you may not get that one day to prove your fitness or to see it on, on a result in, in hard copy does not mean that you don't have that fitness and you didn't make those gains. The hard work is in the training. The, the, the race itself is a celebration. And yes, for our runners who are trying to hit a certain time or qualify for Boston, they, they need that. That's what they, they actually need a recorded time. So that's a, it's a really hard pill to swallow, but it does not mean that they will not be able to do it at a later time. We may need to ramp down training and then figure out, get our bearings, figure out when races are going to pick up again and then ramp it back up again. But that does not mean that you only have this fitness for this week or next week that you will not be able to hit that fitness again. So I, I have been encouraging our runners that we've talked to to look at their their training and the races that they did during their training. You know, we've had so many huge accomplishments where their races showed that they're, they had a, they have the fitness to hit their goals in the race that they had selected. So I think it's important to take a step back too and say, just because I don't get the race doesn't mean I haven't accomplished something. I have, I just don't get a chance to go out and have it recorded at a, at a certified official race right now. I think that's a great point, Lisa. I think that you hit on a few things and that is that it's, we've talked about this so much, but it's, it's really relevant right now. And that is process goals versus outcome goals. And you know, if you focus on the process and if you enjoy the process and appreciate the gains that you make during the process, then the outcome isn't as significant. And while certainly important because it's so nice to have a measurement, a like it's like the test, you know, and taking the test and right. getting the A or whatever, sure, it's nice to have that. But what we've talked about before, it, ring, it rings true here we're not going to remember our race times or be known for our race times. We remember the training, the runs, how hard we worked, all of the thought we put into it, the cold mornings, the dark mornings, the beautiful sunny days that aren't normally reflective of a February um, during this winter. These are all fitness gains that will not go away just because we didn't get to race on the day we intended. It's what I tell my kids with tests when they get nervous mm-hmm. about getting a bad grade on a test. I say, well, did you work hard? Did you study? Did you understand mm-hmm. the material? Did you, did you, you, did you advance your mm-hmm. knowledge? Yes, yes, yes. Well, then the test is just one, you know, the culmination of that. And if you get a bad grade on the test, if you really took away what you're supposed to take away, which is a gain in knowledge, then I'm not as concerned about this. I still want them to get good grades, but yeah. you know, but I'm not as concerned. It doesn't that one grade on that one test. And it's the same thing with our runners who go to run a race, train and prepare, and they don't hit their goals. That goal time on that day, yeah. that outcome goal does not mean that they didn't 
learn, they didn't gain, they didn't uh, make progress. All right, we interrupt Ooh. this this podcast okay. to issue a news alert. It looks like um, at 207, it's okay. 219. Headline, Boston Marathon organizers will postpone race eyeing September 5th investigation. No, no, no. Eyeing September 5th investigations was learned. That's Channel 5. Oh, so, yeah, that, I can't saying, read. No, this is, I think this okay. is, yeah, they will postpone. So it's concerned they'll postpone. Okay. Um, was set for April 20th. Now okay. looking to reschedule, although an exact date has not been determined. Okay. So that's what we have right now. All right. So I can't read. Um, that's okay. Yeah. It's an no, oddly placed comma. Yeah. Actually, you <laughs> it's can't write. Count. Commas the, count. Commas count. I in September, comma, yeah. five investigates has learned. This is channel five. See, five. So, yes. I, commas count. Commas, commas count, Julie. All right. Commas matter. So, nothing I in September, new. comma, comma. <laughs> five investigates has learned. Okay. All right. Sorry. So, it's been a long day. Let's keep going. So, yeah. So let's yeah see. I think that it's important. Well, to, we have to understand, too, that the, what goes into organizing this race and how many cities and towns need to be mm-hmm. involved in the coordination. And I can understand they can't just pick a date and 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 commit to it and move forward mm-hmm. they have to a lot of moving parts and have to figure out uh, the logistics and the permitting and all, everything else and hopefully dave will talk to us Absolutely. about that when we get a chance to chat so to all the runners listening out there that are like okay that's great lisa and julie um we're glad that you want me to focus on my process goals and all that i've achieved but i really want to run a race because i would have pr'd for sure first of all you have every right to say that now because the, if boston is canceled you have every right to say I would have PR'd because you'll never know. So go ahead and own that and say that you would have PR'd at Boston 2020. And if, if Boston 2020 happens to occur in September, then maybe you'll have to retract it if you don't PR. But, but for now, you can say I, I totally would have PR'd. So because you would have PR'd, you have the fitness. So what we advise everyone to do is, is to sort of make like a like a decision decision chart. And so you, you kind of have a couple of different routes to go. One is to take the fitness that you have and take a little break from marathon training to have some periodization and go right into that spring, summer, shorter distance racing, capitalize on the marathon fitness gains and use that to leverage um, into that. But the key is recognize that even though you didn't do a goal race, you still have to have some a, a, a stop. You still have to, at some point, recognize that you've got to shift your training, take a rest between training cycles. Because what we don't want people to do is to say, well, I trained, but then I didn't race. So I really... I really don't have to stop training and I'm just going to train all the way to September. Right. And from many people who had mm-hmm. races scheduled this weekend or next week and they were in taper already. So you've mm-hmm. started tapering down already. So it's okay to take a few weeks of an extended taper. And then, and I compare it too to similar, and I guess we can talk about another route of the decision tree would be to keep an eye and we have to, it's fluid and it's always changing, but to keep an eye on the marathon calendars and see, do marathons start up again, beginning end of April, beginning of May? And it wouldn't be too late at that point to, it'd be similar to sometimes we have runners who run their goal race. They don't hit their time. We have them recover. We have them ramp up again and hit a second goal race six to eight weeks later. And we've had really good success with that. We've talked about that before. But then they take a big rest. Yeah. Yeah. But after that, but I'm saying that if somebody says, well, I still really want to run a marathon. I don't want to just now focus on shorter distance. We can keep an, keep an eye on, you know, hopefully by the beginning of May, 
races, marathons will be back up and running again. So you take, we're in the middle of, of March, you take a few weeks of that kind of periodization downtime. You then go back to doing some long runs in April and you then retaper for a May race. And that, that fitness can still be there. One thing we would advise not doing, and we've had a couple people ask us about this, is going and running with some friends, 26.2 miles, race, kind of trying to simulate a race. That's an option, but to me, a couple of issues come up with that. First of all, it's never going to feel, you're not going to have that race day magic and adrenaline if you don't have an actual race with, with a lot of people. I feel like that is a big part of performance. So you're not going to have that. You Unless you have somebody out on a bike or setting up water and stuff, you're not going to have the core support. And then if you do decide in May or June that you want to hit a marathon, you already now have, you've put your legs through 26.2 harder, hard-ish, maybe not your best performance miles. And you've kind of taken a little chunk out of that ability to possibly to run a really strong marathon later. So I think that's, I get that. I get that people are like, well, I'm just going to go run 26.2 by myself or with some friends, or I'm going to go run the race course that was supposed to be run. I I would think carefully about that, depending on what your goals are moving forward. If you just want to do that, get it out of the way and then recover and be done with your training season, I guess that's okay. Um, You don't get a time, unfortunately, which... Um, you know, for some people who don't matter, don't mind, then that's okay. But, uh, I think you just have to think carefully about doing that sort of rashly. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, and it's just when you run a, a simulated, you know, virtual 10 K, even half marathon, that's fun. That's great. And you can, you can get away with doing that and, and recover pretty quickly, but the marathon's a different animal. And, um, you just want to make sure that, you know, you recover well before you venture into your next goal. And to that end, I think it's really important to think carefully about your body and what works for you. So if you still are inclined to do some sort of celebratory marathon run on April 20th with a few friends six feet apart because you want to celebrate, props to you. Run it at your LSD pace at the very least so that... You or put in a fast finish. That's yeah. okay too. It's. Um, I think you also have to look at you. You mentioned what's right for your body. I think it's really important to think of what's right for your mind too. Um, Great all point. of our runners have different. Some are so disappointed that they are not going to be able to run this, and um, they really maybe need something, some type of goal or something exciting. If even if it's with friends or it's running the course, some people need that. Some people say, it's okay. I'm, you know, I'm okay. I, I, I would like to find a goal race to focus on later and I'm okay. Take a little pressure off for now. So you really have to look and see what's, what's right for your mental strength and your mental stability. Absolutely. And, and your that's body. really important. And your body, yeah. of course, your body for sure, especially the marathon distance training. It's not like you were training for a 5k or 10k and you can just say, all right, well, you know, I'll go do my own race on my own. That's a different story. The marathon is a lot different. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to make a prediction that, the people who really do this wisely and take this fitness from this cycle and either use it um, to go into some shorter stuff before ramping back up to train for this theoretical fall Boston race or any fall race or the people who decide to do um, a little bit of periodization and then ramp back up quickly to do a later spring race. I think in marathon, both case, you mean like a yeah, marathon, marathon. Right? Mm-hmm. I think in both cases, this, this is a great opportunity to really shine because generally we don't have a training cycle this long. No. And if you've been training properly and not cramming things in and you're injury free, this is just a fantastic opportunity to capitalize on fitness that ordinarily you would already be testing in a race. Yeah. 
I agree. So um, I actually ran a raise on Sunday. You did? Yeah. So I, last year, um, right before my knee blew out, I ran the rest in in 10-miler. And it's it's like a hilly 10-miler. And nice race. It's usually about like a 1,000 people. And I have associated for the last year that race with kind of causing my injury, which makes absolutely no sense. But like in my head, that right. was well, the happened last... right after that. Yeah. And I've been kind of afraid ever since of running to my full potential up and down hills, which like, that makes I, sense. I, I, I have to get over that because, and, and I run a lot of hilly routes, but I've been frankly avoiding racing longer races that are hilly. And I, I managed to avoid it like RCA. I had a conflict, so I didn't have to, but over the past couple of weeks before all this stuff happened with Boston, I've been thinking more about it. And I was like, I've got to get back on that horse because well, Boston is so hilly and I need to own that and, and conquer my fear. So, um, I hemmed and hawed about it and decided after looking at the weather and it looked perfect for Sunday, I signed up like Saturday afternoon and I went out and I did it Sunday morning and I was a little bit nervous about it and that was even more reason to do it because I was like I've got to get this monkey off my back and I had a really good race I had a little few moments when I was going fast downhill of this is it this is Here the goes end my name. because it's, it's just blow out. who I am and none of that happened thank god and I finished in 111 the exact time as last year oh, good. And, and how do you feel now I feel fine okay, um good. I didn't run on Monday. I ran ridiculously slow on Tuesday and didn't run yesterday. And then you ran wouldn't say ridiculously today. slow. You ran easy. I ran right? like ridiculously slow, meaning for you, like for you, like I couldn't, like didn't get your legs. I, I couldn't get my legs moving. That's what I mean. They felt like crap. So I knew I needed another day. And so, um, today I ran and I felt okay. So talk to me about, cause I, I'm struggling yeah. with this now. Okay. And, um, you know, I typically do my long runs on Thursdays and today I was a little bit short on time just between, you know, all, all the, whatever morning juggle. And, um, I did not, I, I could not, I'm, I'm going to admit this. I could not get myself motivated to oh, look. I did a 20 last week. So this was going to be a cutback week anyway, but I couldn't even get myself really motivated to run 14 miles today. And again, part of it was time, but it also gave me kind of a good excuse in my head of like, well, is it really going to matter? And I kept thinking, well, if we find out Boston is on, I will be able to then, um, you know, do a long run this weekend or I'll just pick it up next week because this was a cutback week anyway. But tell me, how have you been dealing with the motivation to stay on training knowing that this announcement was coming? And now we have the announcement that it's definitely, it's going to be postponed. Uh, um, I'm not motivated really. I mean, yesterday, I mean, first of all, this just started happening, right. happening. So I, I feel and you like, just ran a race too. So you have yeah. had a, like a little bit of a cutback week anyway. I, I definitely felt so excited that I had my fear, I had overcome my fear that at least for Monday, like I wasn't as worried about this. I was more distracted by the fact like I did that. I got back on the horse and then I'll admit, yesterday, I was so down. I mean, just every cancellation coming in. I was trying to do work. I was trying to triage um, a lot of things as you were trying to help and empathize. And, you know, we're both such empaths. Like, it's hard to not feel the I feelings feel, yeah, of I everyone. Feel like it hasn't even, um, hasn't 
hasn't registered for me. Like Same. if Boston gets postponed, like I can, or cancel even, I, I can deal with it. It's been my heartache for our runners Same. that have worked so hard. And so many of our runners who are planning to go Boston for the first time. Yeah. So this is, this is, it's I mean, really we hard. Really, we've been, we've been prepping everybody for this and talking about, um, you know, staying positive and staying on your training. And that's why I felt hard. I felt bad today because we've been talking about that so much. And then today I was just like, why, why am I doing this? Because we, <laughs> no. but you're right. It did just happen in the last day or two where we really realized that it, it is 99.9% was not going to happen. So, um, yeah, so I was, that's what I've been struggling with is, and I guess it doesn't matter anymore, but, um, I, I what I tried to do is shift my thinking, first of all, focusing on our runners and trying to figure yeah. out how to help them yeah. and, and then shift my thinking to, um, you know, looking at it as a, in some way that we can as a, as a blessing that, you know, we get a little bit of a rest, a little bit of a break, um, uh, a good chance to step back, I feel like, and look at kind of what's important. And, um, so I've, I've been trying, I've been struggling with that though, how to, you know, we talked to Dr. Justin Ross last week and got some really good tips, but I've been struggling myself. I'm not, I'm personally not going to make a plan B. I'm okay. You know, I have a qualifying time for next year. If that's, we don't know, how that's going to work out now, but I have a qualifying time for next year already. And I don't have any, you know, desire to run something other than Boston. And, uh, we have a lot of stuff coming. I'm, I'm, you know, I think I mentioned this earlier though. I think we didn't get it in the podcast. It was the week that our podcast, our, our conversation didn't, didn't, uh, record, but I got into the broad street 10 miler, which is May 3rd, which is right after Boston. I had already thought, well, that will just be kind of like a recovery run after Boston. So if that goes forward and we have no idea, and that's part of the problem too, is that we can't even really plan for us or our runners right now because we just don't, we're in a holding pattern. So if broad street goes, and at least I have that to look forward to. So I'm trying to shift my focus to that of like, Oh, I got into broad street and I can look forward to that. And, um, so, but I've been struggling with that a little bit too, just how, like, how do I feel and how do I stay motivated for my own training? I understand. I feel the same way, but I also, I've been trying really hard to focus on being grateful. Um, last year, this time my knee blew up and I couldn't run. And this year, um, you know, I have the luxury of being able to celebrate my health, knock on wood, and say, well, I'm not in the susceptible um, group of people that could have this, but because I care about my community, I'm going to do what I can to ensure that I don't be a carrier. I'm not a carrier of this. And um, when I say that, I, I recognize that I should be grateful to be able to make that statement. I don't have a compromised immune system, thank God, and I don't have the markers of someone that could potentially get this, even though, of course, there is a chance. But my point in saying this is it's it's a time, I feel like, where you look at the big picture and you step back and take stock in what you're grateful for. And so um, with respect to running, I'm grateful that um, it's been a really mild winter and that this morning I got myself out of bed and I met up with the MT group. I had no desire, but once I got out there, Keep six feet away from each other. I, I, yeah, I kind of did. Distancing. Well, I did cause everyone was running faster than me, but I was, and I caught up finally, but I mean, I'm just, I'm just the slow poke, but it's okay. Like I, 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 I'm safe and I can see everyone in front of me and then I catch up with them by like mile five or something at a light and then yeah. we ran together. But 
Um, I'm grateful we can run outside. I'm grateful Even we, if we can are run outside. Exactly. Run running is one of the few things, yes, you know, fitness-wise. You don't have to go to a gym. Right. I don't have to wipe anything down to go out for a run. Not breathing anyone's germs. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm grateful to have a community with whom I can, you know, superficially mourn the loss of a race and they understand me and, and also talk about really dumb things when the world seems like it's ending right now. I'm grateful yeah. for you. I'm grateful to have this podcast, our coaching, and to have these these have have the responsibility to be able to help people with these issues because it gives me a sense of purpose right now when otherwise I probably wouldn't have one. Yeah, that's a good a good way of looking at it. Yeah. So because I'm definitely Dave, struggling a little bit. All right. Well, we'll help each other through this. Yep. And we're we're gonna let's make running fun again. <laughs> make running fun. Okay. <laughs> I think that sounds like a good, we'll get some hats. good motto. <laughs> some hats. M R S A. Yeah. So to that end, um, we are really also grateful because we have a phenomenal runner on our podcast today. Her name is Kate Landau. And Kate is was last year the winner of the Miami Marathon. I ran the Miami Marathon in 2019 and again this year. Half. You ran the half. Right? I ran the half. I'm yep. sorry. She was the winner of the marathon. And the Miami Herald had a front page story about her the next day because it was like the title was Single Mom Age 42 Wins Miami Marathon and you know, three thirty something. She's People a, don't understand the power of a single, single masters runner mom. Like we got it all. So she was on our radar then, and then there was an article in Runner's World about her um, that we realized it was the same woman. She had um, overcome a a very um, long eating disorder and managed to overcome that and come back as a phenomenal runner. And most recently, Kate was on TV because she was number 14 at the Olympic trials and we saw her running and I just, her conversation was, our our conversation was terrific. Lisa was carpooling and um, that is why she is not heard on the interview because this is another thing because she is um, on the West Coast. She lives in Tacoma, Washington, and she works full-time. She's a physician's assistant. She made herself available to us at 5.15 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Yeah, which was 8.15 our time. Amazing. Yeah. So we had a really great conversation, which we're excited to bring to everyone today. And she was supposed to run Boston. Um, and so she talks about that as well and her feelings. And we just really hope that anyone who listens finds this super helpful and um, Which just add to that anyone yeah. who is listening who is now kind of wondering, what do I do? Um, it doesn't have to be us, but reach out to a coach to help you figure out your plan um, if, if it's something that you're struggling with. So I think we and other coaches have at least some perspective and experience to help people figure out um, what do we do in this time of uncertainty. And obviously people are frustrated. Um, I think it's hard for us right now to for anybody right now to plan because we don't know when our race is going to start up again, when are things going to get back to normal. But I think that like we mentioned earlier, there are a lot of ways to take this fitness and have a really great uh, result eventually when you're uh, able to get on a race course, whether that's a shorter distance race or whether it's a different marathon or whether it's a marathon in the fall. Um, but figuring out now what to do is, is I think like I was saying, I, I can't even, it's hard for me to figure it out. So I think it's hard. And it also, um, could lead, like you mentioned, if people go straight into or try to keep up this level of, of training, we, we don't want to see people get injured or have suboptimal performances because they didn't um, do it the right way. So reach out for help if, you know, if you're struggling with kind of where do I go from here and, uh, and 
hopefully in the next few weeks we'll be able to get a better sense of, of race schedule but even in the meantime you can figure out what your training should look like and we're going to continue this podcast for a while because this is a Boston Marathon podcast. Oh my podcast. gosh, no. No, we're going to um, go through September. We'll, we'll take a few breaks, but we'll That's be really back next question. week. I didn't think yeah, about we'll figure that out too, but we will definitely be on next week and we will um, keep up with that as well, especially during these times of uncertainty. It's fun for us to get together and, and hash all this out too. So thanks everyone for listening. And here is Kate Landau. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. Me too. Hope you do too. Thanks. Bye. We are so excited to welcome to the podcast today, Kate Landau. Kate is a 43-year-old single mom to her daughter, Grace, and she is a full-time physician's assistant, but she is also one of the top master's distance runners in the country. Kate started running at age 11, had a lot of success as a high school runner with several national championships went on to run at Georgetown University, where she was a five-time All-American. And then she moved to California, became a physician's assistant, and stopped running because she had suffered from multiple stress fractures, an eating disorder, osteopenia, and amenorrhea. Kate took a 15-year break from running and talks candidly on the podcast as to how she was able to recover from her eating disorder, rediscover running, and achieve amazing success as a master's runner. Kate resumed running in 2014, and by 2016, she ran a 2.38 at the Portland Marathon and won overall at age 40. She ran her PR at Boston last year in 2019 in a time of 2.31 as the top master's finisher and 13th overall. And just two weeks ago, she placed 14th overall at the Olympic trials in a time of 2.34. Kate was very candid and shares her struggles as well as her ability to overcome those struggles and achieve great success later in life with her running. We hope you enjoy our conversation today with Kate. Kate Landau, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Good morning, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited that you are joining us today. Um, I have to tell our listeners that it's 5.15 a.m. your time on the West Coast. So you are getting ready for work right now and um, you are spending your time talking with us on this early morning. And we are so grateful for your time as a full-time working single mom, rock star runner. You certainly understand how to manage your time and um, <laughs> this is evidence of it. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I'm only running once a day now um, this week anyway. So this worked out perfectly because <laughs> I would be running. I would be running right now usually. <laughs> right. Because you um, only run once a day because you are a an elite runner. You generally run on many weeks, twice a day, just to clarify for those. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to start off with, um, just tell us where you're from originally, when you started running, um, where you ran in college, post-college and, um, lastly, what you do for a living. So I am from upstate New York, a really small town, um, called Neversink. And I was a very, we had no neighbors and, you know, a very small high school and everything. 
I started running when I was 11. I went to the Junior Olympics. And then I think in seventh grade, I was um, recruited up onto the varsity cross country team and um, ran from then on on varsity. Um, and I I won the state meet quite a few times and won a national two mile in high school. And then and then I got injured and had an eating disorder. And but despite being injured and having an eating disorder, I was still recruited to colleges. So I ended up going to Georgetown in Washington D.C. And um, I had a kind of roller coaster uh, college career there, where despite twenty five stress fractures um, in five years, I was a five time All American there. Um, uh, so. I definitely love the the DC area and have many memories of running there. Um, and then um, after college, I, I honestly didn't run uh, for 15 years. So I kind of, after having so many stress fractures, I decided to just stop running. And kind of in the back of my mind, I want thought like, you know, I would I would try again sometime, but I would. Every once in a while, I would try, and I would just get hurt immediately. Um, so, um, yeah, I didn't run from 22 to 37 at all. And then um, um, when my I had my daughter when I was almost 36, and I started running when she was a year old, um, pushing her in the stroller and uh, just getting some, some time outside because she was a pretty um, colicky baby who needed to be held all the time, except when in a stroller, she wouldn't, she wouldn't fall asleep in the car or the car seat or, you know, I had to lay down with her and sleep with her at all times when she napped or slept at night, unless she was in the stroller. So that's kind of how I got back to running. Um, and since then I have been running um, in Tacoma with a little stint in Florida last year, year. And, uh, I've been a physician assistant since 2002, and um, I did vascular surgery until this past year, and now I'm doing internal medicine. Um, so working full time doing that, and um, and being a a single mom, I've been been a hundred percent single mom um, the, the the entire time. Um, I um, yeah, I broke it off when I was three months pregnant. So, and he's not involved, um, really much, uh, now. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> it's been a busy life. <laughs> yeah. And, and so <laughs> just tell our listeners, how old are you? I'm 43. Okay. So you started running again. Um, there's a lot to unpack here, but I just want to go back and, <laughs> and point something out. And that is you started running again after you had your daughter, Grace, yes. and she's now, is she seven or eight? She's seven. Okay, yeah. she's seven. So you started running in your um, mid thir mid to late thirties. When I was thirty-seven, yeah. Okay, um, but yeah. you had taken a fifteen-year hiatus. Exactly. Um, so I want to go back. First of all, thank you so much for that summary. I can tell that you told your story <laughs> a little bit because the way you said it was just so um, matter of fact. And I was a five-time All-American, and I went to the Junior Olympics. And I mean, it was just so, but there's so much to talk about in there. And I know we only have 45 minutes. So I want to focus on a few things, but 
One of them I want to focus on before we move on to what you're doing now is um, you had an eating disorder and you obviously recovered from that. But while you were going through it in high school and then in college, talk to our listeners and tell us what, because so many of our listeners have children who are in high school or a little younger and will be soon. What can they do or what can we do as parents to support our kids who are in sports where that could be something that could happen? Yeah, I think um, definitely there's, you know, some personal personality traits and some genetics that go along with um, developing an eating disorder. And I think parents need to be aware of those um, personality traits, which include being a perfectionist and being very driven, which are can be good things. Um, but when it comes to athletics and succeeding, it can, at such a young age, it could just um, get a little bit out of control. Um, but mostly I feel pretty strongly about um, kids in prepubescent and kids going through adolescence that really they, they, they shouldn't be pushing to their full capacity at that age and um, need to be um, educated and um, diversify in sports and, but educated as far as, yeah, you're going to go through some changes and, and you might slow down a little bit or, but you know, you, you will get stronger and become, come back stronger after this. Um, cause that was a big thing in, in my eating disorder was I didn't want to go through puberty and slow down. Cause I knew that had happened with other, other runners. Um, so I delayed it by just staying very small and keeping my weight at what it was when I was in seventh grade, um, even though I was growing. So um, I guess my, the main points are education of coaches and parents regarding the the risks of developing eating disorders, what, you know, personality traits are, are um, prevalent with eating disorders and um, the genetics behind it. And then as far as the the kids go really letting them diversify in different sports and not putting so much pressure on them because it should be fun i mean once you get to maybe being a junior and senior in high school you can kind of buckle down a little bit but hopefully by then most kids have gone through puberty and their bodies are maturing um so but until then i i really am kind of opposed to uh, um having kids do intense training in, you know, seventh and eighth grade and, um, it should be fun. And when you see a kid that's getting a little bit too serious, you got to pull back the reins on it. I really believe because that talent that they have that you, that the parent might see in them in at 11 and 12 and 13 year old, 13 years old, that's not going to go away. Talent will stay. And I know we want to like help our kids thrive and achieve their best. But you need to be aware of um, aware of what kids are at risk, really. And again, those are going to be the perfectionist, type A, highly driven um, kids, and especially girls. Um, and that just the the uh, prepubescent time is a, a very delicate time. So I think it's uh, this is great advice. I think um, just watching it. From our end, we we both have um, teenagers, and 
we, we do see that there is a push sometimes for kids to do, um, cross country, then indoor track and then track and field. And that's certainly not diversifying. That may be right. diversifying within the sport of running, <laughs> but, um, even just that, um, educating coaches on encouraging their athletes to diversify and not do the same sport all year long is, is so important and not just yeah. to be a better athlete as a whole, but to be a healthier human. So yeah, thank give you their that. bodies a break. Yeah. Just give their bodies a break. You know, I, um, I don't regret anything, you know, or my coaches or anything in, in high school, but I think if I, yeah, taking a break from running, cause I ran year round. Um, and I think it probably would have been good for my body to have a break. <laughs> so, and so then you, you ended up going to Georgetown and while you were there, you still had an eating disorder, but you managed to work around it, um, and, and had a cycle of injury. Talk to us and tell us, um, what, what the injury cycle was like and what, and if you see that, how do I say this? If you see that sometimes with adult runners, um, as a physician's assistant, do you recognize this cycle and what does it look like? Okay. Yeah. So I, um, I started getting injured in my junior year of high school. Um, when I actually, when I had to gain weight because my, I was getting my eating disorder kind of treated. I, I mean, I was faking it, but, um, so I gained a, you know, 10, 15 pounds in a month or so, or maybe it was, you know, something or six weeks and I hadn't run any, any, any amount during that time. And then I developed like Achilles tendonitis and I ran through that. And then I developed a pubic ramus stress fracture that took about two years to heal. Um, cross-trained like a, a crazy woman or crazy girl. And, um, and throughout the cross-training things, you know, it was, the crushing was painful too. So it was less painful than running, but, um, I was definitely still experiencing some pain with that. And then I finally, um, finally was able to run again my sophomore year in, at Georgetown, um, and indoor and I stayed healthy until my sophomore year. I did well, I hadn't run for like two years, but, um, I came in second at, uh, NCAAs in the 10,000 and sixth in the 5,000. And then I went to the Olympic trials in 1996 for the 10,000. But after that, I was just, you know, still running super hard and training super hard. Cause I was kind of on a high of just, you know, having some success and being, you know, in love with running and feeling good. And so I, then I have developed another, another couple of stress fractures at the same time, took eight weeks off cross trained during that period, came back right away um, and started running and racing hard because I had cross trained and kept my fitness and my cardiovascular fitness up. And then I, um, just, I ran for about eight weeks and then got injured again. And, and that was the cycle. So running for about eight weeks, taking eight weeks off. <laughs> and so that was the entire, my entire college career after my sophomore year, when I had a little bit of a, um, like eight months of running straight, I think. So do you attribute the injury cycle to, um, like, were you, what were your eating habits like at the time? And was it partially from residual bone density issues from when you were, um, not nourishing your body sufficiently 
through puberty or was it just a continuum of what had been done before? Were you aware um, of the nourishment? Were, were you working with a registered dietitian? Was your coach working with you? What, what was going on with that? Yeah, that's good questions. Um, so I definitely had osteopenia, um, or low bone density. I think I probably mm-hmm. had a bone density of a, can't remember, but I think it was like a 65 year old, 70 year old woman at that point. Um, and I had never, um, gotten my period naturally. I had gone on birth control to to have some hormones, but then I went on and off it, you know, depending on if I felt like being on it or if I was injured or not. Um, so, um, I definitely had osteopenia and poor bone density and my eating habits were still terrible and I was still underweight. Um, I still had a full on eating disorder. I just kind of knew how to hide it a little bit more. And I wasn't, I wasn't, I was probably 15 or 20 pounds heavier than I was in high school when I was like critical, um, like almost hospitalized for how, how, uh, how thin I was. So I was, um, basically just living on, you know, uh, carbs and just getting that short burst of energy to get through mm-hmm. a workout, but really not eating, um, any or, or much protein or, um, or just, I remember like having like two bagels all day before, a um, a hard workout in the afternoon and after a crossing training session in the morning. And then I would eat weird stuff for dinner, like not an actual meal. Um, so my eating was a mess and I wasn't working with a registered dietitian. I would, my coach would sometimes, you know, convince me that I had to go see a therapist, but that would last a couple of weeks. And then I would say, it's, this is stupid and get out of it. Um, so I really was resistant to doing anything with regards to recovery. And I was, um, just going, kind of taking the steps to keep people off my back. Like, um, and and because I had the intermittent sex success that I did, I didn't, um, you know, I think my coaches would back off, um, because I would come around and, you know, do really well after, after recovering from an injury. So it was just kind of a continual cycle of me continuing the crazy eating habits and, um, and resisting help. So how did you break that cycle? You moved to Washington State. You became a physician's assistant. You graduated from college, but this followed you. So how did you finally break the cycle of injury and um, lack of nourishment and and figure out a way out of it? Um, yeah, so that was a long road. But um, so from Washington, D.C., I decided, you know, we had the um, Reebok Enclave as part of the, it was a professional team post-collegiate that I had been kind of thinking maybe I could be a part of if, if running was going well, but it wasn't, it went terribly. My last season I was running on a stress fracture and was lapped at NCAAs in the 10,000 and had one of my worst races. So at that point I decided I'm just going to move, move as far away as possible. So I actually moved to um, California, the Bay area of California and at that point, I was thinking about going to medical school and getting California residency and going to a California medical school. Um, but then with, with the time off that I took after undergrad, I was like, I did not want to go back to 
school for potentially eight years if I or eight to 12 or 13 years if I want to do surgery or something. Um, and I ended up deciding to go to PA school in Oakland, California. And, Which is um, really hard to get into, by the way. So that's quite <laughs> impressive. I, I know it's really hard to be a physician's assistant. Yeah, it definitely is now. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it wasn't back then, but it's definitely a lot harder now. Um, back in 2000, when I applied, it, it, it didn't seem like it was that hard. Um, but you're being I, modest, but go on. Okay. <laughs> but, so then, so throughout that time, I was still dealing with an eating disorder. It kind of changed into exercise addiction or just really crazy exercise habits and, um, some kind of restriction than binging. So I couldn't like restrict all day anymore. Kind of that had burnt itself out. So I went into probably, um, exercising like two to five hours a day and, um, restricting my eating all day and then kind of binging at night. I w and I wasn't purging at that point. I purged a couple times in my years of eating disorder, but that kind of stayed with me. Um, and until I was 34, um, those, those kind of habits. And so I was cycling. I did a little bit of bike racing, um, and going to the gym and doing Stairmaster and, um, before and after work kind of deal. Um, at that point, my weight was going up. Like it, it, I think my body was just, uh, holding on to everything I put in because I was doing this starvation and then binge things. So my body was always in starvation mode. And, um, I was still wasn't menstruating and, you know, my body was just, uh, just off and started feeling terrible and just tired all the time. And I went to see, and I, I went to see a physician cause you know, being a physician assistant, I never go to see a physician, <laughs> but, <Of> course, yeah. <laughs> but I ended up finally going to see someone. And, and she told me, she checked my hormones and she told me that I was, um, premenopausal. And so, you know, I was 34 at that point. I was like, what? And, yeah. uh, <laughs> cause you know, my weight was, was high. It was, that was actually quite a bit higher than I am now. Um, so she wasn't thinking that I had any kind of eating disorder or eating kind of issue that would cause my hormones to be off. And, um, even though I told her about it, but I think it just, you know, you look at someone and they're, 130 pounds and you're like, you're fine. Um, so, um, I kind of just persisted through that and tried to keep on cycling. And I was trying to be a professional cyclist at that point. And then my body just kind of gave up and I couldn't get through a short ride at that point. And, um, then I finally just surrendered and looked up online for an eating disorder because I knew I had an eating disorder. It wasn't, that was not something I, um, was ignorant of, but, um, looked up an eating disorder specialist and for a psychotherapist and found one. And I just basically at that point, I was like, I will do whatever you say, you know, just help me. I can't do this anymore. Um, and she told me I could not exercise at all. And I had to see a registered dietitian and a medical doctor and um, and go from there. So it really was finally surrendering and saying, help me. I will do anything, anything you say, rather than me trying to control and manipulate the whole situation. 
And once that happened, um, it wasn't soon thereafter that you got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So within honestly like two months of getting treatment, I um I honestly started menstruating slightly, but I was like, it's I, I was like, this is barely a period. I'm not gonna get pregnant. And then I know I hadn't really been in any relationships at all. Um, but then I got into a relationship and um yeah, I got pregnant like so five months after I started treatment. <laughs> so it was really fast. It's really fast, but it's really interesting how life happens because you recover, you get pregnant, you have this wonderful gift, your daughter. And then as you referenced earlier, she was in um, the unintended consequence of having a colicky baby. You ended up starting to run again. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is wild. Um how how life happens and she is the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And um, you know, looking back on that time of me after getting treatment and I went through you know, basically I think I kind of reverted into an adolescent state um for a little while and, you know, got um got pregnant. But um it was it's yeah. God is good and, and things work out. So I think that's kind of been my way of living um, since then is like things are going to work out and um, you just got to take a deep breath and keep on pushing on, but they work out. So I love that attitude. And I think um, I just think from, from there, your story has just as a result been incredible. So um, thank you for sharing all of that because I think that is so helpful to so many of our listeners. And I appreciate that you shared some very personal things to help others. And um, moving forward, you you started running and you had taken, you said you had taken 15 years off, but really you were cycling and doing so much exercise before seeking treatment. You had maintained some sort of muscle memory, I would imagine, from right. earlier. Yeah. You start running with the running, with the jogging stroller and and what happens? You realize you 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 don't feel pain, and you're enjoying running again. Did did you feel any residual injury? How did how did that happen? Yeah. So, um, in the year in Grace's first year, before I actually started running, um, I wasn't really doing any exercise, and I had some significant postpartum depression and anxiety. And I had moved from California to New York, back to California. Sorry, my dog's making noises next to me. So if you hear that. <laughs> um, so, and I, um, my, my parents actually were encouraging me to get out and do some exercise. Cause it was just like, I was not healthy at that point. So I would once in a while, um, during that year run a couple miles and, and felt pretty awful <laughs> doing it. Like I couldn't run eight minute pace or, which is slow for me, but great for some people, but you know, for me, but, that, no, was, I understand. that yeah. was slow. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, um, and then, uh, but then once I started, once I moved from California to Washington and got my job up in Washington, I kind of, all, a lot of the anxiety that was, I was dealing with went away because I had a job and, um, had a place to live and, um, yeah, getting outside in the fall, you know, in September, October in Washington is just like beautiful and it's, <laughs> it starts to get bad after October, but like rainy, but, um, okay. and, and, um, the stroller held me back a little bit and the hills kind of held me back a little bit. So I wasn't like 
going and trying to run, you know, under seven minute pace every single day, like I kind of used to when I would go out and run. It was definitely more about just getting out and running and being outside and moving. And it was kind of just incredible, like that nothing hurt. Um, cause yeah, nothing hurt. And, um, it was just like that part of me that was missing for so long, I had back and it was just, just this amazing gratitude that I felt to have that back. Um, because I love I'd that. Always, Do you think yeah. that that was key to your success is the fact that you shifted 15 years later from being a fierce competitor to enjoying the process? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. For me, yeah, that's, that is key. I love the process. I love, you know, I've always loved to run and train, but it's less about anybody else or about, you know, um, what place I am or, or, um, you know, being, being known as being a runner, like nobody really knows or cares that I'm a runner around here, you know, like, um, that surprises me. Cause we'll get to that in a second because <laughs> you did something pretty amazing two weeks ago, but okay, we'll, we'll say no one cares, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just about, I, I love to run and I'm so grateful to have it back because even in those years that I was cycling, there was always something missing. And I think my cycling friends didn't quite understand why I was so frustrated with cycling. Um, um, because, you know, running was my, my first love and that thing that I was missing. So once I got it back, it was just like, wow, this is amazing. And I, I did a 5k at Thanksgiving after just running for a couple months with my sister and I ran like 1908 or something like that. And I was thrilled, you know, I just couldn't even imagine that I had run close to six minute pace. Um, and, and then it kind of just went from there. I started just slowly increasing, you know, sometimes running at lunch at work or right after work before I would pick up Grace. And, um, so I would get some stroller free days and, um, yeah, I just started popping into local half marathons and being, being happy with the, whatever the result was, yeah, the first one I, I didn't win and I was, but I was still thrilled. I was like, wow, I ran, you know, 125 for a half marathon, which is like 630 pace. And I was, I was totally happy because I never thought I could run a half marathon. Never thought right. I, it's a whole new, it's a PR <laughs> because it's a new distance for you. Yeah, I, um, yeah. Yeah. And when was your first marathon? Um, May of, uh, nine, blah, 2016. Um, okay. So Relatively recently, you became a marathoner, and and what was your time for your first marathon? Uh, two forty three forty five. Um, okay, so at that point, you realized. Um, at that point, your first marathon, you qualified for the Olympic trials, which yeah, is it was outside the window, amazing. but but it, um, the time would have qualified, but it was outside the window. But um, right. As as, I, I mean, it was yeah. an OTQ, but not within the window. And then you right, right, you yeah, ran. I'm going to fast forward, but then you, you won, um, two years ago, the Miami marathon on a very hot day. Um, yeah, that was hot. <laughs> yeah, it was hot. I ran the half that day and that was the first time that I had heard of you. Um, I ran the half and I heard, and there was an article the next day in the Miami Herald about, a full-time physician's assistant living because you were living in Jacksonville, Florida for the year, um, physician's assistant, working mom who um, won the Miami 
marathon and your time, um, was it in that, was it in the two thirties that day? Yeah, I think it was two thirty-seven forty-five or somewhere around there. Which is incredible. And then you achieved a PR, um, at Boston and that was that in 2017? No, so that was just last year. Um, oh, last year, 2019. Yeah. You yeah. achieved a PR of two, was it 234? 231. 231. Okay, 231. Yeah. Okay, which is incredible. And then you just crushed the Olympic trials two weeks ago um, where you placed 14th overall among the women, um, yeah. many of whom are professional runners and many of whom do not work full time, many of whom are not single moms and you placed 14th. Mm-hmm. You should be so proud of that. I don't know if that, if you feel, if you feel that, but to all of us looking at you, what you did out there was amazing. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I'm, yeah, I'm mostly proud or feel good about the fact that you know, I persisted despite having a lot of uh, GI issues that day. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm grateful that I didn't drop out. As as most people, ha- I think, have thoughts about dropping out during a marathon. I definitely had thoughts about dropping out. Um, but I'm really I'm glad that I persisted. So, um, it's it's funny though that definitely um, was my was my B race, and um, as I'm, as we'll talk about, like Boston was uh, is uh, my a race, but, um, so I went to the trials and my real focus and my real, like what I was looking forward to was just getting like two days of rest in the hotel room. <laughs> Cause I've been, <laughs> I've been so busy with a new job moving cross country. We, we moved, so we moved to, from Washington to Florida in March of last year. And then we moved back to Washington in November. And so since November after, after we moved back, I started my new job a week later and the job has been extremely intense and it's just been, um, just been kind of nonstop. You know, I, I had to work through Christmas and New Year's and, and on, on New Year's. And so it's just, um, I was just looking forward to those two days of rest and I wasn't even really thinking about the race. So, um, I went in with a very relaxed attitude. I slept a ton and like, people sometimes don't sleep before races. I was like hard to get out of bed at eight, eight or nine o'clock in the morning the, the, before the race that started at noon on the trials. So okay, spoken definitely... like a true, um, mom right there is that whole, <laughs> I went to race the Olympic trials to get a vacation. <laughs> it was, it was absolutely like what vacation. So, <laughs> So you basically took advantage of the free hotel room yes. to, run, to run the trials. But in all seriousness, I think that's, that is such a valid point is that you probably were really relaxed going into the race because it was your B race because you got a ton of sleep and you weren't necessarily as, as um, engaged in all of the hype. Right. Yeah. I stayed out of the hype, honestly. Like um, I felt kind of bad about being kind of antisocial, but I really buckled down in that hotel room and just got some rest and didn't stay out of all the hype. Um, yeah. So I was definitely very relaxed going into it. So, um, it was your B race, but when you got out there, did you, did you say to yourself, even though this is my B race, I'm going to do the best I can today. Like, how did you treat that race given 
given that you looked, I'm sure you looked around and saw the crowds and, and felt something. Um, what happened during the race yeah. and were you able to sort of maintain that thought process as, as it being your B race? Um, yeah, it's very difficult to maintain that thought process when, when you're surrounded by the crowds and these, you know, professional runners that you look up to and, um, starting kind of towards the front, getting, you know, feeling like I can't slow down because there's 500 people behind me and I'll get trampled. Um, and so, yeah, you just get swept up into race mode and, but I think there, my, I was still just very relaxed about it. The, the entire race, as far as like my goals and, um, you know, my coach and I had, had talked about some, uh, times to shoot for and kind of the, the race plan and everything. And I, I didn't exactly follow the race plan because I did kind of get caught up in that front group and, um, went a little faster than I intended for the first half. Um, but I, as far as the goal time, it was actually, the goal time was kind of right in what we thought I would run. Um, that's great. So, yeah. Yeah. Even with the, I stopped at the porta potty again for like over 45 seconds, like 51 seconds on my watch. It said, so, um, I had a significant break during, uh, the trials to use the bathroom. Um, and you still finished 14th overall. So that's pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I get definitely get in that competitive mode, but it was still kind of tempered by just like, this is, I'm excited to be here, but I was just very relaxed going into it. So I just wasn't in that hyped up adrenaline mode that sometimes you get in. Okay. Well, that's good to know because, um, I think that's, that's good for feedback for people who have a couple of goal races out there that even if you designate a race to be your B race, sometimes it's just about the approach to the race. And if you approach it in a relaxed way, your outcome may be the same either way, but you might feel better doing it because it's not as hyped up in your head. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So your A race is the Boston Marathon and we're here, um, on <clears throat> Thursday, March 12th. There has not been a formal announcement from the BAA, but you and I both feel that given the circumstances with the coronavirus, it's likely that Boston will be canceled. Right. Um, talk to, talk to our listeners and tell us what are your thoughts um, and how are you personally handling um, what's going on? So um, I haven't honestly like thought that much about it. Like the coronavirus is, you know, all over social media. I deal in healthcare, so I'm dealing with it on a daily basis at work. But with regards to Boston, I, I agree. Like it looks like it probably will be canceled, especially with the, the recent 30 day, you know, ban on traveling and, and such. I, I think that's pushing it for, for, any, for people from other countries to come in. Um, so I think it will be at least delayed if, you know, I, I, but I also, I trust the BAA, like they'll, they'll make it fair. Like, um, if, if it needs to be delayed, they'll still make it work out. So it's, it's an, an amazing event. Um, so I really do trust the BAA. They don't want to cancel this. Nobody wants to, um, have to reschedule the Boston Marathon, which has been, you know, every year for, I think like 120 years or something like that. So, um, kind of have faith in the Boston Athletic Association. And then I just, um, 
I really, again, I love training. So I don't have any regrets about putting in the training that I've been, that I've put in because I love, I love running. I love getting fitter. I love pushing my body on a daily basis. And that fitness isn't going to disappear because the race gets canceled. Like you can, you can go run, uh, um, another race to test your fitness. And, and just as when I was saying, like your, your talent isn't going to go away when you're a kid, your ability to run a Boston qualifier isn't going to go away immediately. You can do it again and do it again next year. So if, or, or for whenever it's rescheduled. Um, so I think, um, it's disappointing for sure, but I think kind of, you just have to have to not get upset about it and just trust that the, the Boston Athletic Association will take care of the situation and make it fair for everybody, buddy, and that you've trained and gotten fit. And that's awesome. Like in it, in and of itself, like running the Boston marathon is amazing. It's a, you know, it's a privilege. It's an accomplishment. But doing the training is a, an accomplishment too. So I, I really, I mean, I, I wish I we could run it on April twentieth. But if not, there's you know there's another day. There's potentially another race if you want to use the immediate fitness if it gets rescheduled for a couple months later. Um, again, my kind of philosophy is it'll all work out. <laughs> you know, don't don't worry too much about it. Just keep on training as if it's happening and, and find a, a second goal race. Um, you know, an, an alternative race, if you want to use the fitness that you have now, but even if you don't, you find an alternative race right now, the fitness that you have now doesn't just go away. You know, it builds upon itself. So you can take a couple weeks easy and then build upon the fitness that you've built this cycle. So, and, um, yeah. And obviously like me being 43 and still getting faster, it doesn't matter if you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm 40. I'm just going to, you know, next year I, I, I'll be too old to qualify. Obviously that doesn't happen. People, you know, run in Boston marathon in their eighties. So there's always another, another opportunity. Well, I appreciate all of your words because I, I think, again, it goes back to your love of the process now and um, what a motivational and inspiring message from someone who you actually do have a lot at stake with Boston um, in that there is a chance that you could actually win some prize money here. And the fact that you, even someone at your level is able to look at this as there's nothing to lose. I've gained so much fitness and I enjoy the process. I think that speaks volumes to so many of the amateur runners who are running, who are true hobby joggers, like, like Lisa and me, as opposed to someone like you, where you're, you are running as an elite, as a contender for prize money. And we appreciate your message. I think it's, it's very important for people to recognize that there's so much more to our running than just the races. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, before I let you go, cause I know you got to get ready for work. Um, Speaking of which, I just want to ask you, um, can you give us some hacks that you have managed to um, discover and implement with respect to time management, fitting in all of your miles as a single full-time working mom? Yeah, so I, 
I think um, I'm a morning person. So oftentimes, like just getting up early before my daughter's up um, and I have a treadmill in my house. So that was that was kind of helpful um, for me. And not everybody can do that. But um, that was a big thing. Once I once I got that treadmill, I can get my run done before work. Um, and then um, I think also just realizing that running does give me energy and helps me be a better mom. I feel happier after I run. So if it means picking Grace up, because she doesn't, ha- she has to because of my work schedule. She has to do before and after care at school. Um, mm-hmm. So if it means that I pick her up at six rather than five because I fit in in a, in a run after work, or you know, because I sometimes I work, um, I work like eight to four, and then I and then I have to do some charting at home or something like that. So um, if I am able to get a run in, but and she I pick her up a little bit later, I'm. I'm, I'm going to feel better. It's going to make me a better mom. Um, and she enjoys her time at the, and at her aftercare schedule or or thing that she does at school. So, um, just not feeling that guilt because I always, I used to feel guilt and just rush, rush to pick her up when she was a baby, um, from, from daycare and not get that time to myself. Um, but that time, that time is really, really important to your overall mental health, which makes you a better parent. So, um, I think just realizing that you do have the time, um, getting up early in the morning and using whatever, um, village you have as far as people to watch your child while you're at work or right after work. Um, and there was one other thing I was thinking of, but I just forgot. Uh, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Oh, you'll remember it as soon as, as soon as you go. (laughs) But I think also um, having a, a village of people because I don't have mm-hmm. family. Like my, my sister's an hour north of here, but it's not like an everyday thing that I can have her, you know, help out. Um, so having friends that you can trade play dates with has been really helpful. So whenever I, I have the opportunity, I invite kids to come over to our house to play and give those parents a break so that sometimes I might feel okay asking for, hey, can you watch Grace? on Saturday for two hours so I can run. Um, and those kind of exchanges are, are really helpful. So. Absolutely. Well, I've no doubt that you're setting a tremendous example for your daughter by showing her that it's important to take care of yourself. It's important to set goals and it's important to be a happy person because when you're happy, everyone's happy in terms of motherhood. So, Um, I think you just sent a great message to any of our listeners that may be feeling that parental guilt, that it's okay to do things for yourself to be a better mom. Yeah. Yeah. She actually, now that she's seven, she, she's so cool about like me going for a run and, you know, her going to, uh, for a play date. Um, so, and she really does appreciate it and she's proud of me and it's, um, you know, she'll, she'll tell her friends that I'm famous because I was on TV or something like that. So that's adorable. Just, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, well, I could talk to you for another hour. I'm, I know you have to go to work, but I just want to thank you so much for your time this morning and your just incredible story. And, uh, I wish you all the best as you set new goals in the event that Boston is canceled. And when you do run Boston, um, 
we hope to meet you there. So thank you so much, Kate Landau, for your time and for your inspiring story. Thank you, Julie. Thanks for having me. Sure. Take care. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye. Bye.